We're in Mark 4, and let's just start by reading the first few verses of that chapter. It says, and again, which means Jesus has already been teaching. Again, uh, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen. And that's like an exclamation point, so I add a little, little color there. Um, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he, scattered, uh, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. And it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it came up, it grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, 12, and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God, it's been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand the parable? How then will you understand any parable? Here it is. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, others, like seed sown on the rocky places, they hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But, since they have no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, this totally sounds like us, after you hear this one, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, more is better. Isn't that true? No, more is more. It's not necessarily better. And the desires for other things, they come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. Now, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. If you've been to church for a while, this is like so, so basic. I should probably just sit down and sing another song like, He leadeth me again, you know. We all know this. But, oh, thank you, Emily. I actually heard your laugh. It's nice to know someone loves me. Um, <laughs> stories, you got to know this. Stories are sometimes written on multiple levels. Now, uh, some of us who are followers of Jesus, we like guys like C.S. Lewis. And if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia or the Chronicles series, 
it's written on multiple levels. They're kids' stories, aren't they? And at one level, they're just fanciful tales, but at another level, C.S. Lewis takes a, a kid's story and he's actually writing to those who are choosing to follow Jesus and he's giving this picture of the adventure and the journey of those who choose to go the way of Jesus. It's written on multiple levels. Uh, we see it in nursery rhymes. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes. We all fall down, right? It's about a plague in London in the 1600s. Ring around the rosy is about a disease, pocket full of posies. They thought that the disease would spread by bad smells. Ashes is about cremation. They all fall down is not a chipper song. So it's a kid's, it's a nursery rhyme, but it's, it's actually written retelling a story. But modern cartoons do it the best, don't they? How many of you have gone to see a movie that's like animation? How many in the last year have gone to see an animated movie, right? Did you not see Despicable Me? What's wrong with you? The Minions! I mean, but, 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 but aren't cartoons written on multiple levels? The kids enjoy it, and they might not get half of it, but really the writers are trying to hit two things. And my point is, Jesus is not the first person to do this. He's not the first person to take a story and give it an additional twist, but you got to admit he is the master of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the text because this is so obvious, but it's actually not that obvious. So let's just go back to verse 1 and let's look at it again. Uh, now, if you were here last week, we talked about Mark using uh, a literary device called a sandwich, and this is another one of those. Now, what is a sandwich? Mark takes two almost identical stories, and he puts something in the middle of it that doesn't seem to fit, but if you get what's in the middle, you know, whether you're into vegan, have your cucumber in the middle of your avocado, or if you want like all beef, like the Argentinians do, right, Jim? All beef. Um, whatever you want in the middle, this is how it works. Verses three to nine, farmer seed, soil, harvest. And then again, 13 to 20, farmer seed, soil, harvest. It's almost the same thing, but the secret of the kingdom is in the middle. And so as we go through, I just want you to have that in mind. We're going to see, if we understand verses 10 to 12, what he's talking about on the bread or the outside of the sandwich. All right, let's look at verses 1 through 3. Again, Jesus is by the lake. This is what he does. There's a crowd, probably five or more thousand people. Jesus did not speak to just the 12 or a few in a small room. He was interested in the masses. And they gathered around him. It was so big, he goes in a boat and he sat in it out on the lake. So Jesus is using water. And if you go to, the, if you go to Israel today, you'll, you'll go, you can go to the spots where they think Jesus was at. And he's speaking. He doesn't have to speak loud. And, and the water amplifies it. And thousands of people along the hillside, they can hear it. So he doesn't have a PA. He doesn't have a mic. He doesn't have Andrew Hakim in the back making sure I'm at the right level. He's got water. And that's what he uses. He's sitting in the boat. Is he... Is, is Jesus like chilling? I can't imagine teaching sitting. No, uh, sitting is what the rabbis do. It is a position of honor. And so Jesus is taking the, the role of a teacher, a rabbi. So he sits on the boat and he's projecting out. Now, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, verse two, he taught them many things. And what does he do? He says parables. And in his teaching, so we get one of them but Jesus is not an ordinary teacher. 
He's extraordinary. So in the Gospels, we see at least 60 of these parables. And we're going to try to figure out tonight not just what he means here, but what parables are all about. So, and in his teaching, end of verse 3, he said, so we get the first one. But before we unpack this one, because we're going to get hit with a bunch here, and then later on in Mark's gospel, there's another chapter full of parables. Uh, Let's figure it out, because this may be new. Uh, We know what a nursery rhyme is, but what's a parable? Uh, If you flip it to the next slide, parables are, they're kingdom stories. Uh, The parable, the word parable, it just means something put alongside something else to bring out the meaning of the first. So Jesus is making a point, and the story is the means to an end. He's trying to get us somewhere. And, and parables are often a mystery. So Mark has to give us what the parable means, because you got to remember, we're reading the Bible, so we see the answer to the story. Did the whole crowd get the point? No, because we know that in verse 10, it says, when Jesus was alone with 12 and some of the others, 12, 15, 30, 50, he gives the meaning to a few. Not everyone gets it. So why is Jesus doing that? The point is what Jesus has to say in a simple way, because parables uh, were often used. Rabbis use them all the time. The prophets, if you're reading the Old Testament, they're chock full of these small parables, they all speak to something, but they seem to be riddles. Now, Jesus does something unique. Most of the other people who use parables, they talk about kings, they talk about royalty. Jesus talks about farming. He talks about dough and yeast. Jesus takes what everyone else is doing and he brings it to the bottom shelf, so to speak, and he uses illustrations so plain that people will be intrigued to find out what he really means. So if you're sitting there listening to Jesus, you'd walk away amazed because he did miracles. But it doesn't mean you'd understand what in the world he was saying. But parables can be a tool for you to be invited into his inner circle. Why? Because parables are more than illustrations. Jesus isn't just telling a cute story to be cute. They are invitations. And this is huge. If you want to understand how parables work, they are not just cute stories. So, you know, like sometimes I'll give an illustration to pull out a point. The parable itself is the point. If you get it, they're all, all the parables are an invitation to do something. And tonight we're going to see that Jesus is actually inviting thousands and thousands and thousands of people to be about what he is going to do. So if you look at verse, just jump down to verse 10. It says, When Jesus was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And that was the point. When rabbis taught this way, it was a means to hook you in and then you were to hopefully come to the teacher and say, I got the first bit, but does it mean this so-and-so? And so so they're they're calling us out. So Jesus is going to use the first one tonight to call us into it. So they're about everyday life, but they're not necessarily easy to understand. And that's why I think some of us, we just read the gospel through, like, I get it, I get it, I get it. And the question tonight is, but by the end, hopefully you will get it. Uh, but I want you to notice something. The scene changes in, in verses three to nine. Jesus tells a parable. I won't read it again because uh, he explains it and goes word by word through it. 
but the scene changes. Verse 9, he says, anyone who has ears to hear, let him do what? Let them hear. Um, And then he says, when he was alone, the 12 asked him what the perils were about. Verse 11, he says, the secret of the kingdom of God. Uh, This mystery. So, So sandwiched in between the parable and then the explanation is the heartbeat of all of them. Jesus is going to unpack mysteries. What was not known about God, what was not known about how God was going to rescue his people, rather than being clear as day, Jesus could have simply said, hello, here I am, like Bruce Almighty. Oh, you know, and, 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 and everyone would have been amazed. But for some reason, God wants to bring us along. So Jesus uses the parable as an invitation for us to come and catch the mystery of the kingdom. People thought they knew how God was going to rescue Israel and restore the nation back to the way it was when King David had ruled uh, a thousand years prior. All God's people, they wanted things to be the way it was when God was the leader of the people, when they followed the law, when they worshiped the temple, but things were so broken down, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these leaders, they think they know how it's going to happen, and Jesus unpacks mysteries through stories. And so it's an invitation, which means, third point, parables, they speak to different audiences. So tonight, there are multiple audiences here. Some of you, you love Jesus, you're trying to follow him, you've come to worship, and the parables will speak to you at one level. Some of you are new to church, new to faith, new to Bible. You're not even sure if Jesus is who he says he is. Fantastic. Jesus had a mixed crowd, and the parables spoke to multiple levels. And so everything Jesus has to say, no matter where you find yourself, new to faith, no faith, full of faith, this will have something. But there are secrets. There's something about God you may not know, and the story will help unpack that. So there are two groups of people, if you notice verses Uh, 10 and following. 12 are around him. They ask him. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to who? You, right? So there are those who are going to get it. There are those who are on the inside. Not the crowds, 12 and a few more. And then he says, but to those, and what's the word there? On On the outside, everything is said in parables. And then there's this like obscure quote from Isaiah. So parables speaking to multiple levels, and they're speaking to those on the inside. Disciples, you're going to get it. Then there are those on the outside. So what Jesus says hits everyone, but it's not going to have the same effect. Have you ever read the Bible? Maybe before you came to follow Jesus, you read the Bible, you're like, over the head. Like, I don't get it. Why do people read this book? And then, and then on other times, maybe you've read the Bible and it seemed as if the font enlarged. If you're on your Kindle, you could do that with a button. But like, you know, if it's on a page, like, and you're like, oh my gosh, I got it. That doesn't happen to me every day, but there are these profound times where like, I actually know what this means, and I actually know what I'm supposed to do about it. And so that's what Jesus is trying to do, but not everyone's going to have the same experience. So as, as I talk tonight, some of you are going to be like, built up in your faith and excited about God and take your next step forward. Some of you may leave mad, upset. Like, I don't don't like that. And and that's the way it was with Jesus. 
And that's the way it, was, it is when anyone comes to the scriptures. But look at what happens in Isaiah 6. It says they may be seeing but never perceiving, hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. In the broader context, so, so Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. So take a step back. Isaiah is one of God's spokesmen about 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. In terms of all these, they call them prophets. They spoke for God. God gave them words for the community and they spoke them and their words came to pass. Isaiah is like one of the superheroes. He is one of the most well-known of the prophets. His writings are long and Isaiah writes more about this expectation that God is gonna renew the people of God. He's gonna rescue Israel. Isaiah has a lot to say about this one who's gonna come. It is no accident Jesus quotes Isaiah because people look to, if you, what's, hap- what's gonna happen in our future? What did Isaiah have to say? Now what Jesus quotes is Isaiah's calling. Isaiah in reflecting God's call in his life says, this is Isaiah speaking, I hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom will I send? So God speaks to Isaiah. Who am I going to send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. So God says to Isaiah, go tell this people. And then the quote we have here. So Jesus, you need to see this, the secret to understanding the parable and then Jesus' explanation at the bottom is what's in the middle. Jesus is saying Like Isaiah was called to speak to the people of God, I am called to speak to the people of God. And when I speak to the people of God, look at what happened with Isaiah. God told Isaiah, you have a tough road. You're gonna speak my words and people are gonna hate you. You're gonna call my people to come back to right relationship. They're gonna wanna kill you. You're going to speak as if I were speaking in their midst. And guess what, Isaiah? Most of the people aren't going to listen. They're going to rebel. What a great calling. You know, wouldn't it be great, Jim, if if God came to you and said, Jim, I'm calling you to do it. And just so you know, 75% failure rate. (laughs) I mean, how many of you would be motivated? God, I want to follow you. 75% failure rate. And What is Jesus doing? Subtle, but huge. We have been studying the last few weeks, and we've been looking that everyone misunderstands Jesus. And remember a couple weeks ago, people want to kill Jesus. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're in collusion with the Herodians. What do they want to do? Kill the man. How is it that God could come in in his son, Jesus, and most people reject him? What Jesus says here, you want to know the secret to the kingdom? Is it's just like Isaiah. God loves his people, God comes to his people, but unfortunately God knows that most reject him. So the secret to the kingdom of God, the secret to the parables is knowing that not everyone is going to receive it. And isn't that true? You'd think after 2,000 years, most people would be following Jesus, right? All the Bibles, all the Christian literature, all the evangelistic activity, all the churches. How come? It's because the secret of the kingdom is people expected Jesus to come, kick out the Roman ruler, Caesar, and take over. They expected a violent overthrow. But Jesus here is giving us how his work 
how God's rule, how God's plan is going to be unleashed, not just in the time of Jesus, but in the time, until the time of his return. If you want to know how our faith works, the kingdom of God is just like a seed. What Jesus is going to say to all of us is it's not going to come in a violent overthrow. It's not going to come in a flash. It's not going to come in a moment, but it's going to be slow. It's going to be steady. There are going to be bumps along the road, but in the end of both the parable and the explanation, in the end, it's all good. In the end, some of the seed grows up 30, 60, 100 fold. It ends with a beautiful story. Don't you worry. It's not going to end. You ever watch one of those shows and it ends with like, boom, everyone's dead? Or, you know, like, you know, like, what? They broke up? You know, what a waste of time. You, we want the happy ending. And Jesus is reminding us that in the end, the kingdom seems small. The kingdom looks like it's failing. The kingdom looks like it's being choked. But in the end, where it lands in a fertile heart, in a fertile person, in a marriage that's centered on Jesus, in a community that loves the gospel, there is going to be untold miraculous fruit. So that is how this works. Now, how do we know what this, this, this uh, parable is all about? Let's just look at verse 13. And, and, it, and it's fairly straightforward. Jesus says to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand anyone? If you miss this one, I could keep talking all day long. This is how all of the parables work. The farmer sows the word, verse 14. Okay, so a little question and answer. Who's the farmer? Who's it? Who's the farmer? Because we want to figure out the farmer sows the word. Right? Who's he talking about? Who, who is it? When in doubt and we're in church, the answer to the question is, Jesus, come on, I threw you a soft pitch. He's supposed to go, Jesus, but no, it's Jesus. The farmer is Jesus. Just like Isaiah, Jesus comes declaring the word of God. So the farmer's not you necessarily. The farmer's not me necessarily. In this story, as he's telling it, Jesus is the farmer. So what's the word? Jesus, no, the answer's not Jesus. You know, what, what is, <laughs> what's the word? So I think for many of us, maybe not you, we think of the word as like scripture, right? Like it's the Bible. Actually, there's a different word. Um, the word for scripture in, in the New Testament is graphe or writings. Here the word is logos. So Jesus, the farmer, is not just sowing Proverbs, you know, sowing Genesis. You know, he's not just quoting a verse or writing it you know, in his little notebook so he'd remember it. It's more specific. Jesus is presenting the logos, the gospel, the, the word of God's about to happen, in breaking, into the world, rescue plan, the good news that Isaiah was foreshadowing. The prophets are speaking about God coming to redeem people, and Jesus says, I've come, I'm the farmer, and I'm telling you God's great plan not only am I telling you God's great plan, I'm God's great plan. So the farmer is Jesus, and Jesus, in a real sense, is sowing the plan that he is about to enact. We know when we move forward, this is why Mark puts it early. When Jesus is on the cross, we'll get later on, and there are more parables about the seed having to die. Mark wants us to know early on, it's Jesus coming to do the work, and it's Jesus sharing 
the plan of God. So like the calling of Isaiah, most people at first are going to reject the message. So it's, it's similar to what they had already seen. Verse 15, some people are like seen along the path. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to substitute the word gospel because it, it just may help it to be clearer for us. Some people like sown along the path where the gospel is sown. As soon as they hear the gospel or the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing, Satan comes and takes away that good news, the gospel that was sown into them. So Jesus is coming to do the work of God and bring salvation to all of us who believe. And at the same time, there is Satan at work. Remember back in, just hold your place here. Look back to Mark chapter 1. Go back to the left. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And this is like the mission statement of Jesus. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the what? The good news of God. So Jesus comes and sows the word. Jesus' role is to present the plan of God. The time has come. Again, think about it. Isaiah's looking forward and Jesus is saying, it's here. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. The secret of the kingdom, what God has been planning to do, is about to break in and unfold. Uh, repent and believe the good news. Jesus' whole work is to call people, this is who God is, this is what God has done, and now you must respond. And I want you to get this. Everyone who hears Jesus has to respond. And the best response is to repent. To repent means to have a change of mind. I thought this was God and his plan and who I am and what I should do with my life. But then when I hear God speaking, I go God's way. Whatever God says is right, whatever I think is less right, unless I'm in alignment with God. So I change. God doesn't have to change. God's plan is true and good. I turn and trust the good news. Who is the good news? The good news is Jesus. So Jesus is telling his people out on the lake, but they don't get it. It's a mystery to them. But to those who are tantalized, maybe like you tonight, it's like, oh, I feel like this may be right for me. Jesus is saying, come on in and I'll show you what this is all about. So what's the big word here that's going to help us understand what that response is? If Jesus says, repent. Believe the good news. All throughout, um, all throughout this parable, we, we get this recurring word, and the word is here. Let's just keep reading. Verse 16, back of, uh, go back to Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4. We'll keep reading about these seeds. Uh, verse 16. Others, like those who hear the gospel, it falls on a rocky place, they hear... The gospel. Mark all throughout this, I think it's seven or eight times, here, 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 here. And at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last for a short time. So when trouble, persecution come because of the gospel, they quickly fall away. Still others like the gospel sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things, they come in, they choke the gospel, making it unfruitful. 
The important thing here again and again and again is this Greek word akuo, which is listen, hear, 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 hear. Just go back to verse um, uh, verse 3. Go, go to chapter 4, verse 3. I just, I just want you to see this again and again and again. The first word in Jesus' teaching is what? What does he see in verse 3? Listen. It is the word akuo. It's listen. And there it is a command. So Jesus frames out everything he's going to say with, listen up. Now listen does not just mean hear it. Because Jesus says, anyone who has a he- ear, duh, let him hear. Like, doesn't that seem strange to you? If you got ears, hear. What Jesus is saying is there can be all sorts of hearing of who Jesus is and the gospel. But we need to be careful. Listen! Be very careful. So hearing isn't just an audible thing. It is a listen up, pay attention, pay careful attention to what is about to be said. And so Jesus is implying that even though he's come, most people are going to see him, watch the miracles, be fascinated by him, hear his teaching, and remain unchanged. I want you to think about your life for a second. When you first started to be exposed to this Jesus, what was on the radar as you heard the name of Jesus? Were you like drawn to him? Were you intrigued by him? Or at first was it like, I came, I, I hear a little bit, but it went in one ear and out the other. Or I read the Bible, or I saw some book, or I watched a movie, or a TV program, or heard a radio preach, whatever, and it didn't go anywhere. What Jesus is saying is every single one of us has the ability to receive and get and, and intake what God has to say, or it can fall on all sorts of soils. You can hear about Jesus today and go to the mailbox tomorrow and see a stack of bills and forget that Jesus is faithful. How do I know that? Because that happens to me every week. (laughs) You can hear about a God who does wonders and a Jesus who heals and is concerned and then you wake up tomorrow and you're sick and you're distraught and rather than calling on God, we call on everyone else and our last resort is throw up a prayer and hope for the best. Because sometimes we forget and we let the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, or simple other concerns choke the fact that if we will see Jesus for who he is and will wholeheartedly embrace what he has done, it will have a dramatic effect. So most of the imagery here is commonplace, and we know that there's all sorts of responses to Jesus, but I want us to focus as we come like towards an end here, down on verse 20. Because what Jesus says, and he, he, he starts with a downer, this person it fails, that person it fails, the other person it fails. But don't you forget verse 20. It says, others, like seed sown among good soil, hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. So following Jesus, get this, is about hearing It's about receiving. It's about embracing the gospel. Following Jesus is about hearing. It's about receiving. It's about embracing the gospel. This whole thing is about the person of Jesus. Now, in their day, 
it had gotten slightly off. It became about uh, going to temple and following the religious calendar. It became about sacrifices. But Jesus wants us to be reminded and have this deep in our soul. Following him at its core. You want to follow Jesus? Spend time and figure out what he has to say. Whatever he says and whatever you figure out is true, receive that. Don't just hear it and, and leave unchanged. Go to the next step and say, if that is absolutely true, what must be different in my life to live out what I've just heard? And then embrace it. It's hard. Does, does following Jesus transform everything in a day? No. It is a lifetime journey of day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, hearing new truth, receiving it as true, and, and saying, Jesus, by your grace, by your spirit, I am going to change. And if you get that simplicity, then the fruitfulness of what God wants to do will begin to unfold and you will begin to flourish. So verse 20, they hear it, they accept it, and they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And the beautiful thing is if they're hearing this, they're laughing at Jesus. First century, if you're out, and these are all, these are agrarian, fishing, uh, simple people. But in the first century, if you got eight to ten times the crop, that was like awesome. So you sow one and you get eight to ten. That would be incredible. Pre-GPS, pre-genetically altered seed, and pre-everyone having lactose and or gluten problems. Like, you know, pre-all that, count that as a freebie. But, but pre-all that, 8 to 10%. What Jesus is saying is, if you will let me come, rule, change, guide you, lead you, convict you, challenge you, if you will invite me to do the transforming work, 30, if anyone got 30, I was like, wow, that's amazing. 60, absolutely unheard of. 100 would be nothing short of miraculous. What is Jesus saying? It is as simple and uncomplicated as submitting yourself to Jesus and saying, I'm willing to receive, I don't know it all. I'm willing to do something about what I hear and I'm gonna stick to it until I see fruitfulness in my life. It is not about a change of behavior tomorrow and if it doesn't work tomorrow, I chuck it and follow a new health plan or a new uh, spiritual path or some new sort of mantra to which to guide my life. It is about holding on to Jesus Full on. So what are these parables about and how do we bring it home for 2013? Number one, the parables or parables are, this one is about Jesus and his kingdom. The whole thing's about Jesus. And why do I say that? It may seem obvious, but it's not. Many of us, when we read the parables, what are we thinking? There are four different types of soils. What kind of dirt am I, you know? Am I thorny dirt? Am I pastor? You're like, what kind of dirt am I? Am I, am I good old dirt? Oh God, put your, put your goodness in my dirtness. Like, you know, like we immediately take the parable and we make it about us. The parable, unfortunately, American friends, is not about you. The whole thing is about Jesus. You want to know the heart of Christianity, the heart of following Jesus? It's about him, not us. And if we will remind ourselves, now some of us, we've been following so long, we little by little, we make the story about me 
And we need to remind ourselves, in order for the kingdom to bear fruitness, in order for Jesus to do miraculous fruitfulness in my life, I need to stop making myself the center of attention and make Jesus the focus. If I will just give more time to who Jesus is and allow his work to be done in my life, I will bear fruit. I don't have to bear the fruit, and that is the point. Jesus bears the fruit in me. And so you want to see your life transformed? Hang around Jesus. Second thing is, the parable is about how people respond to Jesus. And so let me ask you a question. How many responses are there in the parable to following Jesus? How many? How many? Oh, how many? Four. No. Actually, there are only two. There are three that fail to receive him and one does. And I want you to get this. Your issue may be the deceitfulness of wealth. Your issue may be a lack of long-term wholehearted commitment. The issue may be you may not know enough yet to embrace who Jesus is, but there are actually only two responses because in verses 10 through 12, Jesus said to those who were close to him on the inside, here's a secret. To those on the outside, it was all a riddle. There are really only two responses to, to, to Jesus and it's you receive him or you don't. Now, there are multiple reasons and multiple layers, multiple issues, but we need to come back to the simplicity. My friend, you are either following Jesus as the ruler of your life or you are leading yourself. There's no middle ground on this. You have either embraced Jesus to forgive your sins. Now, you're saying, but wait a minute. Like, I, I'm not as godly as Steve Marshman yet. Are you saying like I'm not in? No one's as godly as Steve Martian, so give up, okay? That's another story altogether. Anyone who could be a fighter pilot and an elder in a church has more presence of Jesus in their life. But that aside, I'm not saying there aren't stages of growth. There are. We start small and we grow. The kingdom of God is like a seed, and it does begin to bear fruit. But in your heart, you are either for Jesus or you're against him. That is the bottom line. And where things get mushy, I think in the U.S., is we give, give people four different options. You can either be totally dead sent against Jesus, okay, that's one, or you could be quasi for Jesus, or you could be about Jesus when it's convenient for you. Or you could be like radical and crazy and weird and come to church on a Sunday night, which no one should do, you know. And we've given all of these layers. And what Jesus is saying is you're in or you're out. And so here is the good news. Jesus speaks parables to people on the outside as a hook to draw them in. And so you need to know God's heart for you is that you would be in. God's design for you is that you would fully be led by Jesus. God brought you here because he wants you to flourish and he wants you to bear fruit in your life, not selfish fruit like more stuff for me. But fruitfulness is about whatever Jesus wants, you begin to want, and what Jesus wants is better and if you want that kind of life, you can have that because all parables are an invitation. And that's the third point. The parable is not just an invitation. The parable is what? It's your invitation. And so now, just like it happened 2,000 years ago with Jesus bouncing his words off the water, now you and I get the opportunity 
to choose. It's about four soils, but it's only about two responses. So let me just ask you, what is keeping you from living on the inside? We're those who are close to Jesus. And what Jesus offers us is just a few of the samplings of things that keep people from closeness with him. It's Satan, the enemy of our soul who is real, unseen, but very real. He wants to keep you and he will try to keep you from fruitfulness in Jesus. So you do have an enemy, but you shouldn't let any enemy keep you. The point is you can respond. Jesus tells a story, but thousands hear it and only a few say yes. Trouble and persecution. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, Jose, I did this when I was a kid, but I went to college. Everyone thought Jesus was a joke and I only wanted to go to one party because my parents would let me go. And so I went to one and it was actually way better than church, which is true. And, and I went to a second party and I had no intention of doing what everyone was doing, but I wanted to be a witness. So I went. And then I went to a third party and I, I thought I'll just have one and then I went to the fourth party and I just thought I'd have one at a time. And, and do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? And some, some, we joke, but some of you, that's your story. And that's where you're at. And you just need to hear this. You can change, not by changing behavior, but by embracing Jesus, the seed. By embracing the gospel, your life can be radically transformed but you have to want Jesus more than anything. And then for the rest of us Americans, it's just cares, concerns. We're so consumed by consuming that we get consumed by everything other than Jesus. And what would it look like tonight if, if we left here saying, Jesus, I actually desire to be consumed by you. Not church, not religiosity, not programs, but Jesus, I want to be consumed by you. And tonight, if you'll live that kind of life, there's no telling the fruit that you will bear. So let's just ask this question as we move towards the table, as we go to worship. And it is a probing question, but the kingdom of God, it's just like a seed. And the question is this, where does the gospel need to sink deep into your life? Where does it, and it's like, Jose, I'm, I've been 30 years into this Jesus thing. I got the gospel, really. I think anyone who's following Jesus who has no areas, no area where the gospel doesn't need to, to sink in probably doesn't fully understand the gospel. Every one of us, we have areas of unfruitfulness. So if you're not yet following Jesus, it's real simple. Follow Jesus. Begin now. Admit what you've done, repent, come to God saying, hey, I'm not you and I've blown it, but I want you more than anything. Come, forgive me, clean me. And then what will happen is you'll, you'll leave the outside and you'll be brought in, not because you're better, but because Jesus cares about you and you will begin to grow. But for the rest of our life, this should be tattooed on every, not literally, figuratively, metaphorically tattooed onto the hearts of all believers where does the gospel need to sink deep? And there are areas in my life where I'm not letting Jesus work. And so the invitation to me tonight is to invite Jesus into that spot, into that place. Uh, the worship team is going to come. Ryan and crew, 
We're not going to open the table yet because I think at moments like this, when we're, when we're experiencing this good thing called conviction, and as they're coming, let me just give you a quick distinctive. The enemy, Satan, wants you to feel condemnation. And right now, if you're thinking, like, I've blown it, I can't come back, Jesus will never do anything, I've gone too far, that is from Satan. That is not from Jesus. Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, brings conviction. Where we, are, we come to the place where we're like, you know what, I, I need Jesus to work in that area. And if you're feeling that tonight, in a big way or a small way, we want to give you some space. So we're not going to open up the tables, but rather we want to sit. And as the band just sings this song, just think about that question. Where does the gospel need to sink deep in my life? And if you are in a follower of Jesus, and there is an area, and the answer is there is, then maybe during the song, God will bring that to mind with a heart to redeem. He wants to bring you back. He wants to make you close. He wants to fill you up. He wants to bring fruitfulness. He doesn't want you to feel condemned and guilty and distant. He wants to bring you close. Let's pray, and then let's just sit for a bit. Sing the song if you want to. If not, just pray while they sing it. Lord, thank you that you're so good that you choose to bring areas in our life that are far from you, that are off, that are causing thorns to grow instead of fruit, causing a mess in these relationships, causing undue stress and pain and worry. Thank you for bringing those to the surface. And tonight, Jesus, we want to be a people that have open hands, that we're not closed-fisted, that we're not, we're not convinced that we've got it all right, but we have open hands. And tonight, even with our hands open, we invite you, Lord Jesus, to come and to do that transforming work. And Jesus, as we ask that tough question, we're ready. We're ready to change. We're ready to repent. We're ready to go the other direction. We're ready to see you do something that's a hundredfold beyond what we could ever do in our own puny strength. So Jesus, we invite you to come even now. Amen.